0: And go ahead and take a seat. Well, good morning, church. And uh, last week we took a break from the series we were doing because last week was Vision Sunday. Um, If you weren't here, you want to check it out online and watch the service. It was a fantastic service, and we set in an amazing team of people who are going to uh, be used by the Lord, I believe, to take Gateway into the future, and so check that out, and also, if you've still to give or pledge to give on the vision offering, you can do all that still online for the next couple of weeks until we make our announcement, so check that out at uh, gateway.ac vision or slash pledge, or just go to our YouTube page if you want to watch last week's Vision Sunday uh, video. So, we took a break from the message series. We're back to it today. Today is the final part, and it's called Things That Matter. We are, go- we are looking at the important things that uh, there's so many subjects we could talk about, but if we get these things wrong, we are going to build our faith and build our lives and build our church on a faulty foundation. So the first week we looked at God and His Word, who God really is, and how we can trust His Word that He has revealed to us through prophets and apostles who wrote it down and the, the record that we now have. God and His Word. And then in week two, we looked at Christ and His kingdom. Not only do we need to know who God is, we need to know who Jesus is, what Jesus did for us, what He is now calling us to do, and how we can become part of His kingdom and live as part of a new new people in the world. Today, we are looking at the new covenant and the new community, we're basically looking at what happens to you as an individual when you believe the first two parts, okay, when you, you hear about God and you hear about how he's revealed himself in his word and you hear about how he became one of us in Jesus, how he died on the cross to pay the price for your sins and to secure your eternal salvation. How he rose again from the dead, returned to heaven and gives the gift of the Holy Spirit to all who believe. When you believe all that stuff and receive it by faith, there are two things that are supposed to happen in your life. The first one is that you enter into a new covenant, that you now have a new relationship with God. So that's what we're going to talk about to begin with, and then we will finish up today by talking about how you're not just an individual, you're also part of a new community with other people whose hearts and lives have been changed and who now have a new covenant with God. So let's talk about the new covenant first of all. Okay, let's talk about the word covenant first of all, okay, the word covenant, What is a covenant? It's not a word that we use very often today. And in fact, we've really changed it for another word, contract. A contract. But a covenant is actually much more than a contract. A covenant is a binding agreement between two parties. Now, you might think well, isn't a contract a binding agreement between two parties? Not really, a contract is a binding agreement between two parties to do certain things. But a covenant is a binding agreement between two parties, not to do certain things. Let me give you an example. Let's say I sold oil, and let's say you had a business, and you came to me and said, I would like to buy oil from you and I would like to buy five barrels of oil. Well, maybe oil's a bad example in today's prices, but anyway, we'll do it. So, five barrels of oil a month for six months. I want you to promise to supply me five barrels a, a month for six months at this price, and we sign the contract. So, all I have got to do is make sure I turn up every month with five barrels of oil and all you have to do is pay me the money for them. That's it. That's a contract. Anything else that's going on in your life or my life is not involved in the contract. So let's say one month you actually need 10 barrels of oil but you still only have the money for five. If you have a contract with me, you can't just call me up and say, can I get 10 barrels this month and I'll make it up to you at some future stage. No, that's not in the contract. And if I have a problem, let's say thieves broke into my warehouse last night and stole all my barrels of oil, I can't call you up and say, I don't have any oil to give you this month. You could sue me if I said that. I have to go and buy oil from somebody else to sell it to you, even if it's at a loss to me, because that's the contract, okay? So the contract is, I need to provide you with five barrels of oil a month for six months. That's all you're interested in. And all I'm interested in is you giving me the money every month. That's it. That's a contract. That's not a covenant. If you and I had a covenant together and you called me up and said, can I get 10 barrels of oil this month and I'll make it up to you at some point in the future, I would give you 10 barrels of oil because we have made a binding agreement that we are committed to one another's success. And if I called you up one day and said, I can't give you the oil today because I was broken into last night and I'm needing to repair everything and I'm needing to uh, get new barrels and stuff like that, me and my tribe would come round to your place and help you fix up the damage that had been done because I'm committed to your success just like you're committed to my success. A covenant is way more than a contract, okay? A contract is when we agree to do certain things for each other. A covenant is when two lives become intertwined. The best example of a covenant in the modern world would be marriage. But yet, even in marriage, we refer to it as a marriage contract. That's because the government and lawyers got involved in marriage because they worked out a way that they could make money off of it, you know? So, they got involved in those things, but originally they were not involved in it, and it was a, it was a religious and a community. A wedding was a community activity um, done in the presence of witnesses under the gaze of God with no legal or political involvement whatsoever. But once they got involved, it starts getting called the marriage uh, contract. But it's really a covenant. It's a covenant when, you know, you don't just agree to, unless you've got some weird prenup, you don't just agree to certain things. You know, uh, I'll use the bathroom between 7 a.m., an ATM, and you can use it from ATM, I mean, you don't agree to that, you share share your entire life together, okay? It is a covenant, it's not a contract, and in the Bible, God makes covenants with people, not contracts, we sometimes with our Western mind read them. If I do A, B, and C, then God will do X, Y, and Z. No, it's more than that. It's that God and us, our lives, are now intertwined with one another. And God made a covenant with Noah, and He made a covenant with David, and different ones. But the two we want to talk about are the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And so that's why the Bible is divided into the Old Testament, and the New Testament. A testament is a document that explains a covenant, okay? So when you die, you leave the last will and testament of so-and-so, okay? It's something that has to be obeyed. You have put in writing what your desires are. So the Old Testament is in, in written form What the heart of the old covenant was about. And the New Testament is the written account of what the heart of the new covenant is about. So God looks over on humanity and he sees that we are all lost. We are all completely, you know, all gone astray, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and things like that. And God decides to put a rescue plan into operation. Now, he decided this before the foundation of the world, but just for the sake of a narrative, God decides to put a rescue plan into operation. So he picks one man out of the whole human race, Abram, and he changes his name to Abraham. I don't know if you know this, but a lot of the name changes in the Bible have in Hebrew the sound because God breathes new life. Abram, you're now Abraham, and breathes new life into him. Every time God God does something new, he breathes new life. Remember, Jesus breathed on his disciples after his resurrection and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And so he changes his name to Abraham, and he makes a covenant with him. You and I are now partners together through life and I'm going to bless you, you're going to, you're going to follow me and walk in my ways, and I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless your descendants, and your descendants are going to become a great nation, and through that nation, I will bring blessing to every family on the earth, to the entire world. So, he makes his covenant with Abraham and his descendants, and they grow into millions of people. Eventually, they they, they have migrated to Egypt and have multiplied in Egypt. Then a new Pharaoh arises in Egypt and enslaves them all. And then God raises up Moses, and Moses leads them all out of Egypt, across the Red Sea to the Promised Land. But before they get to the Promised Land, they stop at Mount Sinai, and God ratifies the covenant. He takes the covenant he has made with Abraham and his descendants and builds it up even more and says, this is the covenant that I have with you, the nation of Israel. This one group of people, out of every group of people in the world, God has this covenant with them because he is going to use this nation to bring forth the Messiah who will be the Savior of the entire world. So even though they've got this covenant, this relationship with God that they're in, they are looking forward to a time when something new is gonna happen. And this new thing is going to be when the Savior comes and when the Savior takes away all of our sins and breaks down every barrier between us and God so that we can walk with God, God can walk with us, God can dwell in us, and when we die, we dwell with God. And so, this is the new covenant that has been established through Jesus' death and resurrection. And so... I want to just show you uh, a couple of passages of Scripture. Here's Jeremiah, first of all. Let's have a look at Jeremiah. So this is in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, but God is revealing that a new covenant is coming. Look at this. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make, what does it say? A new covenant. This was the first time they were hearing this stuff, okay? a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant even though I loved them like what? A husband loves his wife. So marriage is being used here as an illustration of a covenant. I love them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. Let's read on. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them. Remember in the old covenant, they had God's instructions on two stone tablets, the Ten Commandments. Well, we've not to obey a list of rules. God is gonna write his laws on our hearts. He's gonna change the desire of our heart so that instead of desiring to do our own thing, we desire to do his thing. Look, he says, I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord. For everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord. Everyone who has entered into the new covenant now has a relationship with God, now knows, now knows the Lord, okay? If they don't know the Lord, if they don't have a relationship with God, they're outside of the covenant still. Everyone The second you put your faith in Jesus, the second you have a relationship with God and a connection with God as strong as anyone else in this room, you are his people and he is your God. And it says here, they will all know me already, says the Lord, and I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. Never again. And I will give them one heart and one purpose to worship me forever for their own good and for the good of all their descendants. Do you know that God doesn't ask us to worship him because he's an egomaniac that wants worship all the time? Do you know that it's actually therapeutic for us to worship God? Do you know that it, do, it doesn't it doesn't change God, God never changes, but getting into his presence and opening our hearts to him, it changes us. It does us good. It, so, you know, it's when Christians are at church and we're worshiping God and they're standing, chewing their chewing gum and not singing and not worshiping, you're not affecting anyone else, you're only affecting you. It's like it's it's all going out to the steakhouse afterwards, and we're all eating a steak, and you're just sitting there chewing, chewing gum. You're missing out, buddy. God isn't missing out. No one else is missing out. I encourage you to enter into a full relationship with God. It will do you good, and your descendants after you. It's good for you. And then it says here, I will make an everlasting covenant. The old covenant came to an end. But this new one that we have in Jesus, where our sins are forgiven and and God wants to do good to us, that's going to last forever and ever and ever. The old covenant, you could break it. You can't break this new one. Because you don't have to offer a sacrifice or neglect to offer Jesus was the sacrifice. God did it all. And he says it will be an everlasting covenant. I will never stop doing good for them. I will never stop doing good for them. Just think about that. God has promised, if you are part of the new covenant, if you believe in Jesus, God will never stop doing good for you. Isn't that a great promise? I mean, if you're ever having a bad day, that's the only verse you need. Just pray and say, Lord, I'm just reminding you. I know that you won't forget, but I'm just reminding you that you promised you will never stop doing good for me. And I need you to do some good things in my life today. And so that's what he's promised. And he says there, I will put a desire in their hearts to worship me. How do I know if I'm really saved or not? Well, do you love Jesus even a little bit? (laughs) Do you have a desire for God and for his presence and for his blessing? Because you only have that if God put it in you. Because without God's grace, the heart of man is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things, the Bible says. Your heart without Christ will lead you astray. But in Christ, he changes you and puts new desires within you to worship me, and they will never leave me. Read that last sentence out with me, will you? I will find joy doing good for them. Do you know that that God enjoys himself? God enjoys himself. He finds joy every time he does something good for us. And so, a new covenant. Now, I know I said we're going to talk about a new community, but we need to talk about something else in between because this new covenant keeps talking about something else, a new heart. It keeps talking about a new heart. Everyone who has entered into this new covenant, this new agreement, this new relationship with God Those verses said they've been given a new heart. Their heart has been changed. And this is is so important. It is the difference between religion or legalism and relationship or grace. We're supposed to enter into a relationship with God that comes from His grace. We're not supposed to start becoming religious by obeying rules and laws. There, there, are, there are two different things. And, and sometimes people mix them up. And sometimes if you say, you know, someone that's been, that's been truly saved doesn't behave that way or doesn't think that way or doesn't do that, that's legal. No, that's not legalism. So you need, you need to listen to the difference. Legalism or religion is when you say to someone, If you want to be accepted by God, you need to do A, B, C, D. It could be come to church, pray, read the Bible, stop sinning, stop getting drunk, whatever it may be, right? There's a list of things. And if you do all those things, if you obey all these rules and regulations and become religious, you will be acceptable to God. That is not true. You can do all that and still be as lost as you ever were. But neither is it true to say just believe in Jesus and then you can live any way you want, do anything you want, neglect all the things of God. It doesn't matter. That's not true either. What is true is to say if you have been truly saved, not by your religious efforts, but by God's grace, it changes your heart. It gives you a new heart. And now you have you have the desires to do all these things, to go to church, to pray, to read the Bible, to please God, you want to stop sinning. You've got the desire. You've been changed on the inside. And a saved person lives a certain way not because they're trying to get favor with God, but because they're already in a relationship with God, and they love Him, and He loves them, and they want to please Him, and they want to walk His ways. Okay, you've been given a new heart. If you've not been given a new heart, you are not in the new covenant. You are not saved. I don't care if your grandfather is the Pope, and your great aunt was Mother Teresa. None of that counts. You might have been born in the baptismal tank. It doesn't matter. That would make a good birthing pool, I do have to say. But I mean, basically, it is a birthing pool, isn't it, for spiritual births. But getting baptized, all that's going to do is make you wet unless you are truly saved. And you're truly saved not by getting baptized, but by getting a new heart. Look, look what Ezekiel says, I will give them singleness of heart and put a new spirit within them. I will take away their stony, stubborn heart and give them a tender, responsive heart so they will obey my decrees and regulations. Do you see that? we do obey God's decrees and regulations, not out of some stressful religious duty to please him, but because our hearts have been changed and that's what we want to do now. It would be like, you know, here's an example. I I read this story about a, a woman who got a heart transplant. She got a heart transplant, right? Before the heart transplant, she did not like Indian curries and she did not like beer. After the heart transplant, she craved beer and curry. That was what she wanted. And she couldn't understand why. And eventually she got to meet the wife of the man whose heart had been donated to her. And the wife told her that her husband loved beer and curry. She got a new heart and with it came new appetites. Okay? When God gives you a new heart, He gives you new appetites. There there are sinful things that you used to be tempted to do, and when you did them, you enjoyed them. Now those sinful things, you're still tempted to do them, but now if you do them, you feel miserable inside because your heart has been changed, and you want to run back to the presence of God again because your heart has been changed. Look, I will take away their stony, stubborn heart and give them a tender, responsive heart so they will obey my decrees and regulations. Then they will truly be my people and I will be their God. Let's read on. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols." I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart, and I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. What does it say next? Put the next one up. Okay, I thought that's where it was, but there might have been a verse. So what I want to talk about for a moment is if you've not been given a new heart, you're unconverted. You might come to church. You might sit in the same seat every week. You might even have carved your initials on the seat in front. But unless you've been given a new heart, you're not converted. And... This might look strange, but there are thousands of people who think they are evangelical Christians and are unconverted. Now, I know that we kind of know that. If that had said unconverted churchgoers, everyone would have been okay. That's right, yeah. There's churches that maybe a 100 years ago that denomination did preach the gospel. They preached the gospel and people came to Christ and they were converted and they grew in their faith. But over the last century, that denomination has gradually drifted away from Scripture and now they don't be. I mean, do you know that in the United Church of Canada in Ontario, they have a minister, a woman who's the pastor of a church. She's an atheist, she is a total public atheist. So we know that there are churches that you can be a member of and even be the pastor of and never have been saved. We know that. But not in evangelical churches. Not in churches where the gospel is preached, surely. Yep, of course. You Maybe your parents brought you to church every week. And maybe church-going is now a habit in your life. That doesn't mean you've ever opened your heart up to Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean you've ever been given a new heart. If you've been given a new heart, you've been changed. Now, Maybe you don't know when that happened. Maybe maybe it happened when you were four years old or six years old, or maybe you made a decision to get baptized at 11, or maybe at a youth group camp at 13, you rededicated your life to Jesus or something like that. And you don't know exactly at which point you were born again, but you know it happened sometime. You know it happened sometime, right? But if you don't know that it ever happened, If there is no desire in your heart to love God and to know God and to walk with God and to walk in His ways, maybe your heart has not been changed yet. Maybe you've just accepted a view of the world that your parents taught you, but you've never experienced what your parents experienced. Or that's if you're growing up in the church. Another way, people can come to church. They can clap their hands, oh, I like that song, that's got a good beat to it. That doesn't mean they're saved. They might even jump in the baptism time. We just, we take your word for it when you say you've accepted Jesus as your savior. We don't know if you have or not. Only you and God know that. And you could never have had your heart changed. This is like really important because when you have Christians start saying, well, I think the church should change this, and I think the Bible needs updated, and I think these things are not a sin, and I think we should believe that all paths lead to God. and I be- Your heart has never been changed. If you think all of that, you yourself have never come to a place of your old heart being taken away and a new heart being put in and God's spirit coming to dwell in you. Because if that had happened, you would be reborn, you would be remade, you would be a new person. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old things have passed away and everything is new. So the book of Hebrews, which is in the New Testament, quotes all these Old Testament promises. And it says this, if the first covenant had been faultless, the old covenant, there would have been no need for a second covenant, the new covenant, to replace it. But when God found fault with the people, he said, the day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. They did not remain faithful to my covenant, so I turned my back on them, says the Lord." But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. They will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying you should know the Lord. For everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, and I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again Remember their sins. When God speaks of a new covenant, it means He made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. God has made a new covenant. Those Old Testament promises have come true in Jesus. And this was Christians being reminded that if you are true Christians, if you have truly put your faith in Christ, You have entered into a new covenant, and your heart has been changed, and God's Spirit has come to dwell within you. You are now the temple of the living God. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who dwells within you. You and God are joined together. The Bible says, whoever joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Wherever you go, God goes. You and him are in an unbreakable covenant together. But you're not the only person on the world like that. You're also part of a new community. You've joined with other people who are who have also had their hearts changed. You see. Everyone in the new covenant knows the Lord. Everyone in the new covenant has a relationship with God. Now everyone in the church might not have a relationship with God. You might be coming to church regularly, but you have never yet trusted Christ as Savior. Maybe you've never yet actually understood that you're lost and you need to trust Christ as Savior. But stick around long enough. I believe you'll get it eventually. And when you put your faith in Christ, not only are you part of the church, but you enter into the new covenant community where everyone has a relationship with God. And this is what the Bible says about the church, the new covenant community. It says all the believers devoted themselves. Now, does it say... Does it say all the pastors continually sent emails and text messages to remind people that they needed to come to church? Does it say that? Does it say that the people reluctantly went to church with their arms twisted up their back? No, because they were believers and they did something. They devoted themselves, right? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need, They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. That's a picture of a new covenant community People whose hearts have been changed come together as the body of Christ, and as the body of Christ, they live out in this new community. And can I just say this? You know, we've gone through a season, and it's different in different parts of the world, but for the last two years, there's been... In this area, churches have not been allowed to meet, but in this area, they could. And then a few months later, in that one, they weren't. And then a lot of people, and yes, I'm speaking to you on YouTube, a lot of people have just got used to doing church online. Now, doing church online is better than not doing anything at all. However, it is still just you as an individual, and God, yes, You've been given a new heart, you have a new covenant, a relationship with God, and that's great, but you're also called to be part of a new covenant community where we share life together. And the church is not an added extra that Christians can take it or leave it. The church is the main thing that God is doing. We watch the news and every day they tell us what all the important things are, but none of that is the important thing. The important thing, what God is doing in this planet, is the church. Let's look at this last scripture and I'll show you. Ephesians, God raised Christ from death. This passage we're gonna read is gonna summarize everything we said in week one, God and his word, Week two, Christ and His kingdom, and today as well, the new covenant and the new community. God raised Christ from the death and set Him on a throne in deep heaven in charge of running the universe, everything from galaxies to governments, no name and no power exempt from His rule. And not just for the time being, but forever. He is in charge of it all, has the final word on everything. Now look at this. At the center of all this, Christ rules the church. At the center of the entire universe, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world, the world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which He speaks and acts and by which He fills everything with His presence. People, it's all about Jesus and it's all about who Jesus is the invisible God, invisible form, the Word of God made flesh. It's all about what Jesus has done. He made a new covenant. He did what we could never do. He paid the price for all of our sins and purchased everlasting life for us, brought us into a new kingdom that He rules over, gave us a new heart, put His Spirit within us, and asks us to be a community who are his body in whom he lives and through whom he works. That is the gospel. That is the message of the Bible. That is the message that will change your life and keep it on the right track. These are the things that matter, everybody. So let's stand together. I want us to conclude by praying a prayer and as we pray this prayer, we are focusing our attention and our affection on what matters. So, get yourself into whatever prayer position you want. Let's look at the screen and let's pray. To, are we ready, church? Okay, one, two, three. Father God, I turn to you today asking you to create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Set my heart on you alone, on your word, your kingdom, and your church. May I find where I fit in the body of Christ and may my life bring glory to you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, let's give God a big praise, church. Let's sing Like a Rushing Wind.